The content of CPR Unplugged is designed for entertainment purposes only and is not intended as mental health treatment or medical or mental health advice. Details such as names and locations may have been changed to protect individual privacy. Hello and welcome to CPR Unplugged. Whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever you're doing right now, thanks for joining us today. I am super excited. We have a return guest, our very own in-house self-care guru, Christina. Welcome back. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Okay. So if if some of you have not listened to the first episode that Christina and I did, I highly recommend going back and listening to it. It was one of the most fun episodes that we've done. And uh, there's actually a point in there where I think I almost shoot uh, tea out of my nose because I'm laughing so hard. So (laughs) I remember that. This is going to be a little different than that. We're kind of exploring a little more of a serious uh, topic today. So it might be a little bit of a different tone for those of you who have heard the first episode, but let me very quickly introduce Christina. So Christina is a um, private practitioner and independently licensed mental health provider in Arizona. She owns and operates Calibri Counseling and Consulting in Prescott. And then she also runs the self-care website, selfscience.org. And that's also the home of her 52-week self-care challenge, which her and I both uh, partook in that a year ago. And I've got to say, it actually changed my life significantly. I feel much more grounded and stable. And I can say it took me a while, but self-care is now actually a part of my day-to-day routine. So thank you so much for that. Those resources were invaluable. Oh, that's so great to hear. I'm so glad that, you know, it was effective and, you know, what you needed at this time. So I wanted to get into the topic with you today of a specific population that can really benefit from self-care. And frankly, I don't think get enough self-care and that's caregivers. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, caregivers, whether that means a parent or someone taking care of their spouse, their child, adult child, their, um, their parent, uh, tends to kind of get overlooked sometimes either they overlook themselves or society, um, you know, things like that. Yeah, absolutely. It's one of those things where I think in general, right? Whether you're on the outside looking in or you're the person as a caregiver, I think it tends to be minimized just how much work and effort and energy goes into that role. It, it does. And I, I think also, you know, the whole concept of if you take care of yourself, it's selfish when you're, especially in a caregiving role, you're, a lot of your time is spent on helping this individual, you know, doctor's appointments uh, is a big one. Mom caring for them at home, especially if they're not able to do a lot of their own uh, um, daily, you know, ADLs, you know, like um, everyday activities like bathing or eating, you know, your whole world is wrapped around this individual. Sometimes they might even lose your sense of self and identity, which is a whole other topic. And then when you try to focus on yourself, you might think you're being selfish or taking away from that time. Yeah. I've actually heard caregivers say that before where it's like, if I go and I do self-care, I'm neglecting the person that I'm caring for. Mm -hmm. It's really like that deep seated of a, you know, I, I can't do this or it's wrong to do this in some kind of way. Yes. Yep. And, you know, I think that needs, that needs to shift. I feel, you know, that perception, because how are you going to take care, continue to take care of that person if 
you're neglecting yourself and then suddenly you know you're in a worse worse off position so let's talk a little bit more about that what is the role of self-care in being able to well let me back up a bit i feel like self or um caregiving a lot of times is a long-term thing, right? It's, it's rare that caregiving comes in a, a temporary role. And I'm curious what your thoughts are about self-care as far as the longevity of being able to be a good caregiver, but also be healthy while you're in that role. Yeah, no. And that's a good point that a lot of times caregiving is an ongoing role. You know, there are some that may have to take care of a spouse or a child temporarily because of an accident and they can see the light at the end of the tunnel. Whereas someone that's in a long-term role, they may not see that light at the end of the tunnel because there might not be one, you know, especially with a progressive illness like Alzheimer's for an example, you know, so I think it's to continue to be healthy. It's finding ways to set aside time for yourself. Um, but I also think it's also a mindset shift too. You know, that's like where it starts is like knowing the why of taking care of yourself. Um, you know, it's not just for you. It's also for that individual. So you can continue to help them out long-term because um, burnout's real. Burnout will happen, you know, and burnout often does happen and especially in those long-term roles. So what I'm hearing you say is that self-care plays a really integral part in the resilience of the caregiver, mm-hmm. but maybe even the quality of care and the resilience of the person they're caring for. Yes. Yep. You know, I mean, just like, when you're flying, they say put on your own oxygen mask first before you put on oxygen mask of someone else. It's so you can do that, you know, so you're breathing, you know, so you can breathe and have this oxygen so you can be fit enough to help this person out, you know, on the plane. It's the same thing, you know, you taking care of yourself, eating well, exercising. I mean, it doesn't have to be these big things, you know, helps you be able to continue that resilience, as you put it, for that individual and making sure their needs are met. Because if we're burnt out, we might be overlooking some of their needs as well. Good point. Yeah. I can hear some people saying maybe though, that like, let's be practical about this, right? When am I going to have time for self-care? And I think a lot of people also have that idea in their mind of like, oh, bubble baths. And, you know, like, let's talk about the nitty gritty. What does self-care actually look like for someone who's a full-time caregiver? That's a good, that's a good point because, you know, I think self-care always still is, even though it's been a big buzzword the last few years, especially during the pandemic has been bubble baths and nails painted and very girly stuff. And it's not, it doesn't have to be, you know, for the nitty gritty, for someone that's taking care of their loved one, you know, self-care is just really making sure that you're healthy, mind, body, soul. So, um, making sure you showered, simple things, making sure that you're taking care of your teeth, brushing your teeth. And a small, you would be surprised at how easy it is to neglect something like that. You know, I'm so tired. I'm not, I can't take even a minute, take a minute, you know, when they're carving it out times for you to get your own rest when they're resting, you know, they always say like when the baby's sleeping, you sleep. So that's even, you know, with someone that's, um, an adult that's needing to be taken care of, they're going to sleep. They're going to have times where they have to sleep. So that's when you also sleep. I'm going, following up with the doctor. That's a huge one, making sure you're not neglecting your own health, eating well. So these are just like little small steps, uh, walking, exercising, finding time to do that. And that, you know, at home, um, it doesn't have to be a gym membership. So I think just regular everyday activities where you're trying to keep yourself healthy is part of self-care. Having time where you can connect with, 
you know, family and friends, especially if all your life is wrapped around this individual, then, you know, you may forget the, the outside world, so to speak, or you may forget, you know, to continue on those relationships. So finding out a way to continue that on, does that mean texting? Because that's easy. You just send a text, you know, you're sitting next to the person taking care of or phone calls or going to church, like whatever it is, you know, I think it's, it can be simple. It just takes a little time to realize like, where are you lacking? And there are several um, self-care assessments online that you can take where you can just check off like everything that you may or may not be doing. You can see where you may or may not lack in taking care of yourself. I love that you mentioned the social interaction piece. Cause I think when people hear self-care, they automatically focus in on like the self part of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like these are things that I should be doing for myself, maybe even by myself. Um, but yeah, social interaction, I can imagine is a huge part of that. Yeah. Yep. Social interaction is we're social creatures. We're social animals. You know, we are not meant to live like be alone. And some people, you know, we can argue do, but in general, most of us are social creatures. So um, that's a huge component. And nowadays it's super easy to connect with every, you know, through social media, um, online support groups. I'm always pushing for those support groups. Um, I'm hoping to start one myself, just working out a few kinks as well, a caregiver support group, you know, so it's just really easy to connect with others nowadays, whereas before it might've actually been a little bit more difficult. Now I still on the flip side is that face-to-face interaction does wonders compared to online or, you know, interaction as well. So what if you have someone that says something like, I would love to be able to leave my house and get coffee with my friend, but I can't leave but I don't want to invite them over because my house is kind of messy, you know, cause I got to prioritize. And sometimes I don't always have time to keep my environment the most clean. Yeah. I can see people kind of coming up with these um, roadblocks. Yes. Roadblocks are um, a good descriptor. I, and th- those roadblocks are very real, you know? And so I think that's where the online forums can be helpful, you know, finding online support, um, you know, through the pandemic, a lot of people were meeting up through zoom like this, you know, they were having zoom meetings. So no one had to go into each other's houses. No one had to go outside, you know? And so if that works for you, if that's getting that social need met, then do that. You know, other things is finding a, a respite. There are a lot of programs out there that offer respite, you know, for individuals, um, to see if you qualify, you know, you can talk to your doctor or, um, your local area on aging, you know, on ombudsman, I think is how to say it. Um, so there's several supports out there, you know, someone that is a respite provider or a caregiver um, has seen it all. So, you know, they'll be, they would know what to do. And there's also adult daycare centers. Um, there's, there's, I think tapping into that network. So starting online, starting with finding a support group, you know, finding, you know, finding, a Facebook group or something to connect, but then also looking at the area resources around you to see what they can offer to help with that need. And I think you brought something interesting up with the adult daycares as well. We forget that sometimes the person we're caring for also feels really isolated. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yep. Mm -hmm. I wonder if that's part of it. Like if we're more willing to take care of ourselves, then the person we're almost role modeling that for the person we're caring for moral modeling. Yeah. I think that's, that's a good point, you know, because the individuals that we're caring for, regardless of age or reason need that social interaction, you know, and it helps with, um, for instance, I don't know if what study it was, but there was something that showed that older adults that had ongoing social interaction 
were healthier and lived longer than those that were secluded and like, and didn't have that support. And so by doing that, it's helping them out, you know? So it is, it's, it's twofold, you know, you're helping out yourself and help, but you're also helping them out and you can even plan it where, you know, you drop them off at an adult daycare center, um, if they're of that age, and then you go and have coffee, or if they're a child, you know, seeing what supports are around there and kind of planning out your day that way. How do you feel about including the person that you're caregiving for in the process of self-care? Cause I'm thinking like when you said like the virtual coffee, I love that idea. And it would be so easy to have, you know, like mom next to you and, and have virtual coffee with the family, you know, it wouldn't have to be necessarily just you and mom's in the other room, that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, that could be done, you know, and it also shows that, um, they, they know they're not alone, you know, both individuals. So I think that's a good idea as well. There's also a reason for that one-on-one support. Cause again, sometimes we get lost in the um, in the individual we're caring for and we forget to lose our, forget ourselves and we kind of lose our own identity. So I think it's also important to make sure that you're able to try and carve out time for just you. Tell me about that. The identity piece. Yeah. And this kind of a personal thing for me. I, um, was a caregiver for my mom for many years. She actually passed in March and I've come to realize over the years, but even more so the last few months that a lot of my identity was tied into being her caregiver. People were always like, Oh, you're so good at caring for your mom or you're such a great daughter. And I was, thank you. But (laughs) it was, um, it was a lot about that. I also had to kind of plan my life around her, you know, where did, where I moved to or jobs, um, different decisions I had to make and never really felt that I totally, it would have been different, I think. And I would never change. I would not change anything at all. You know, I think I'm glad that I took care of her and, um, but it led to some important decisions on my part. When I realized that there was going to be these roadblocks, I decided, you know, she needed to she, she ended up living in assisted living and she was very social. It was very appropriate for her. And I would visit her throughout the week. Um, I was still caring for her needs a lot, you know, taking her doctor's appointments. I was the first person that they called for everything. So there's still a lot to do, but I was able to have that separation. So I was able to still make sure my needs were met and my goals were met while at the same time, balancing her life and her needs and her goals. And that was for me, everyone's different. You know, everyone um, may deal with caregiving in a different way, um, may not be able to have the resources to have someone live in an assisted living or may not feel that's appropriate for that individual. You know, it's not for her, it was, she wanted that. So I think with the identity, um, especially as in certain, as women, you know, um, daughters, you know, we just, it almost seems natural to go that route to take care of that individual mothers, you know, if their child has special needs and your life just becomes all about that, you know, doctor's appointments, conversations, books you're reading. And it's just easy to get really engulfed in that. Mm. I'm looking here. (laughs) I was talking about caregiving. (laughs) I really appreciate the personal perspective on that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's kind of what fueled the self-care piece in the beginning. And then with my practice, wanting to work with caregivers. Um, and it, you know, kind of played into that, um, because I just think it's just so important that, you know, you're, 
you don't lose yourself because I think it just can end up being a um, like kind of a domino effect where you're losing yourself, you're getting burnt out, and then the person you're caring for is starting to suffer from it too. Mm-hmm. And I can imagine too, it, it changes the relationship with the person you're caring for because if you're not caring for yourself, I could see like resentment and things like that sort of building up in the background unintentionally. Right. Um, but I could see that happening. Yeah. Yep. Resentment um, building up and you may not recognize and notice it, but it might be small things like I couldn't do this. Or if I didn't have to take care of my spouse, we would be doing, we'd be going on this trip or we'd be traveling. Um, and I think there's also a mourning period and this could be part of the identity process too um, of who your, what your role is, you know, you may have had, especially if you're a parent caring for an adult child, you know, you may have had this vision of your life after your child graduates and moves out of what your retirement might have been, or what your child's life may have been going to college or having a family. And if they're not able to do that because of whatever ailment they have, there's that mourning piece. Like my life is not what I thought it was going to be. My life, my child's life is not what I thought it was going to be. And that's a huge piece there too. Um, going through those stages of grief, like someone's past, you're going to go through the same thing. You're going to mourn that period. And it may not happen right away. It may come up when you're burnt out. Mm. Yeah, such a good point. I wonder if self-care is one of those ways too, that we kind of maintain our own identity. Like I have a friend who uh, she um, crochets and she is just, when she crochets, like she would call herself, right? Like a crocheter. That's, that's part of how she identifies. It's part of her creative outlet, right? Mm -hmm. Um, it's her artistic expression in, in the pieces that she crochets. And I was just thinking about, wow, I wonder if that's kind of an expression of our identity in some ways, how we maintain a sense of ourselves. Yeah. So what you're saying is that her self-care is crocheting and that's been her, um, part of her sense of self, like her, how she expresses herself. So that is her, like you Mm -hmm. said, that she is a crocheter. Yeah. I mean, a runner, you know, I'm a runner Mm -hmm. or I do yoga. I'm a yogi. Um, I'm an artist. I'm a singer, you know, whatever that is. I, and I think there's nothing wrong with labeling yourself as a caregiver, but I think it's the fact that you start identifying with it where you lose who you really, your true essence. And maybe, maybe that is, but I think for most of us, um, you know, that's, that's the issue is like losing yourself in that person and becoming a, like forgetting who you are, forgetting that you like to crochet, you know, you, you have a bad time um, and forgetting those other parts of yourself. Cause we're made up of parts, you know, we're not, you know, that makes us a whole. And so the caregiver aspect is a part of you. It's not going to not be a part of you, but what about the other parts of you? Like being a crocheter, being a chef, being a mom, if you're caring for a parent, um, you know, being a spouse, whatever that is, that you don't want that to get snuffed out by fully engulfing in yourself in this other role. That's such a good point. Yeah. And that can be in any role. You can maybe crochet too much and you forget about everybody else. (laughs) So I like that. Yeah. That's a good point. Okay. So self-care might be a way to reconnect with those other parts of ourselves that maybe we've been neglecting because that caregiver part has really, um, sometimes has to be you know, front and center, but not always. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. And just mending those pieces to make us whole. Now, what about people who say, 
I should be able to handle this. I should be stronger. This shouldn't be having such an effect on me. I shouldn't need resources. Yeah, I I think in in a way you're lying to yourself, but <laughs> that's <don't>. so fair. <laughs> it's a little truth. I know. Why not? Why not have some truth today? But I mean, I think it's also society, like especially again. I go back to women and men too, but I think society um, says, like, especially in Western society, this like individualism pull pull it up by your bootstraps. When in reality, we need that community. Um, you know, in a lot of other societies, they have that community that helps raise children, that helps um, you know be with the elderly. You know, it's not just one person and. So I think it needs to be kind of a mind shift and for, for one thing, you know, um, where we are, like, are, we need to shift that perspective and that thinking that we can't do it alone. And it's not natural to do it alone. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the other thing is it doesn't make you less than if you feel that you need to tap into these resources, you know, it's only natural. And it's, um, I actually think that makes you more effective. Like I was given flack for, having my mom she went from assisted living to a nursing home and they're like she should live with you I'm like that's not feasible that's not going to happen it can't um or I wouldn't be able to help her out as much as I am you know and because it was just me if I had like you know other it would be it was different so that was my story right mm-hmm. so I think it's this perspective shift and then just realizing that it's actually it would be more beneficial by tapping into these resources we can't do it all alone we know we're not super man, super woman. Yeah. Well, and you're right about the society that we live in here in the, in the Western world, right? Yeah. Um, it's not as collectivist of a culture and we're seeing more and more multi-generational homes, but it's definitely not the norm. And so, yeah, you're right. That's a way connecting with those resources is a way that we maintain a sense of community. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know, um, and I think that's, you know, again, until we have that shift and we are, we are seeing more multi-generational homes, which makes it a little bit easier to care for an individual. But if you don't have that um, luxury or you don't come from that um, culture, then, you know, looking at these resources and there's several out there, it can be hard to find, um, you know, that's why Google's a great, you know, option and, you know, finding um, like a case manager. I mean, I think a lot of people also get overwhelmed with, well, where do I start? Like, how do I find these resources? You're telling me about all these resources. Where are they? So I think, you know, um, for me, I, you know, I looked up a lawyer, you know, and they um, were the type that you didn't have to pay anything until after. So it was, it was feasible. Um, then there's the case managers, you know, that are through the state. Um, looking up, a, again, your local area agency on aging. Um, is a really good resource for, you know, um, parents that are elderly um, or your spouse. And then a lot of community agencies, mental health community agencies, um, your local hospitals, your pediatrician, even, you know, those are really good resources for those that have children that have um, special needs um, or they need extra care. And so I think just asking, you know, finding like, okay, well, I don't know where to start. So I'm going to ask my doctor, you know, just taking that initial step is helpful. Cause I think it can be overwhelming for a lot of people too. And that's another barrier to asking for help. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. How do you feel about 
the role expectations play? Because I feel like that's part of why people don't engage in as much self-care as they could, because there's this expectation, right? Like if I'm going to go on a run, I have to be able to go for a full 30 minutes or, you know, those kind of things. If I'm going to do the laundry, I've got to have enough time to fold all of it, put it all away. Like, where do you, um, or what's your perspective on expectations and how that might influence our engagement with social or self-care? have low expectations no um, <laughs> um well I'm kind of serious I think like you know knowing like what you taking small bites you know knowing what you're able to handle and not and being honest with yourself I mean I joke about the low expectations but if you want to start exercising but you don't have 30 minutes 10 minutes park farther you know if you're by yourself you know if you um take the stairs um, you know, if you want to start eating healthier, instead of saying, I'm going to cut out all sugar and alcohol and everything and go cold Turkey. If you know, that's not feasible, then just, you know, um, cut out one thing, um, you know, if you have to. So I, th- yeah, so I think it's just taking small bites. And once you hit, like, if you take, make a small goal that, you know, you're able to attain, it's rewarding. And then you're going to want to do the next goal. And then you're going to want to do the next goal. And you get more momentum that way than if you try to do this ginormous goal of, you know, running for 30 minutes. Accumulates over time. Exactly. I walked for 30 minutes and ran for two out of those 30 minutes. I feel great. (laughs) (laughs) Anything about self-care that we haven't covered yet that you think is important for people to know or understand? I think there's so much out there on self-care that it's almost starting to be a gimmick. So I think, you know, don't discount it. You know, I think um, just taking care of yourself, you know, just taking that step is just really important and whatever that means, you know, so the 52 week self-care challenge had all these different ideas and some of them weren't feasible. I just always told someone that when they did follow it, just try one, you know, just try one thing, like go to the doctor. You just did it. Great. So I was curious how it, you know, how, how it went for you, you know, your experience. Yeah, it was really neat. Um, you know, you touched on something that I think is important, integrating it in daily life. Mm-hmm. I have become huge on like automating <laughs> certain self-care things. Uh-huh. So like, you know, switching, I, I wanted to read more. Well, if I switch to audiobooks and I listen to them in the car on my commute, okay, then, you know, things like that. So your website was really helpful with getting the wheels turning and and thinking about self-care from different angles and being more creative and flexible with it. Mm. So I'm not trying to carve out time to, or money for that matter to, you know, go get a massage every week, Yeah. but I am able to make these small changes. Like you said, taking the stairs instead of the elevator that over time have made a big difference and now have just become my kind of day-to-day norm. Mm, yes, I like, that's true. You know, like audiobooks instead of reading, you're still able to implement that a little bit. What are some of the ways you've seen self-care change your um, life or help you as a caregiver? I think setting those boundaries, you know, boundaries, I think is a huge aspect of self-care and being a caregiver, you know, knowing what your limits are, knowing when to ask for help, um, knowing when to, you know, get your own support. You know, I, um, sought out my own, you know, support groups and stuff like that. Um, so I think that was for me, um, huge and it's still a process. Like I'm no longer a caregiver, but I'm still working through maybe some of the, um, parts that affected me as a caregiver, you know, I 
that's that ongoing thing. Like it, there was a term that it ended, um, but there's still that mourning period that and thoughts that have come up because of it. Um, so I think reflecting more, you know, being having giving myself space to reflect more on my own needs has helped with the self care as well. So boundaries, reflecting, and then just like my health and being okay with my process. You know, I when I started the self care journey in 2019 with that blog, I was like, I'm gonna by the end of this year, I'm gonna be like this amazing self care person. <laughs> no, it didn't work that way, but it definitely <laughs> made me more conscious of things that I needed to do, I guess, and ways to make sure I'm healthy. Um, and it's an ongoing journey. And I actually, you know, I'm looking back at that blog and getting like restarting, um, rethinking about those ideas. Um, I'm right now I'm editing it because I want to try and make it a book. So I have to like edit it, um, which is a whole different process, but reading, rereading that I'm getting reminded like, oh, I need to I need to continue to set these boundaries. I need to continue to make space to reflect on, you know, my own mental health or I need to continue to eat well. So it's always in the present, I guess is a short answer. <laughs> always in the <laughs> forefront. Well, and I think a big part of my journey too was I thought self-care had to be this consistent thing. And then I was talking to someone that, cause I was just like, maybe I just can't do this. Maybe this just isn't for me. Right. Which is ridiculous because mm. we all need self-care. Yes. It's called being healthy. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, it should be the norm, but, uh, somebody told me they're like, it's okay. If you don't have a day, right. There's a single day in your week where you don't get any self-care at all. Like that's just life. Mm -hmm. And I thought I was like failing at self-care somehow. If I had a day here and there where I just, for whatever reason, was not integrating it in. Yeah, I, that's, yeah, I think you're not failing, not at all. You know, I'm having like, we're going to have those ups and downs and I, even just having like space just to be, you know, and be like how you're feeling in that moment is also part of self-care like I just couldn't get in today it's too much well you're being honest with yourself you mm -hmm. know and you're allowing yourself that space to take that time you know so I um so as you can see like for me I think self-care weaves itself into everything you know again that's that mind body soul aspect it's just everywhere I just had this thought too where I was like so wait you're telling me that self-care doesn't mean I'm happy all the time. Like, <laughs> no, <laughs> sometimes self-care is admitting that I'm having a bad day. Yes. Like Being honest with yourself. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I know. It's crazy. And I think that's, I think that's why, like, I almost sometimes wish I like my website called self-science because I self-care. Sometimes people think you have to be happy, unicorns, bubbles, flowers, you know, music. And it's like, no, you have self-care is just being really in tune to your own self, you know, mm -hmm. taking a scientific inquiry on who you are and being like, yeah, I'm having a bad day today and I'm not happy. That's okay. Nice. I like it. That's so humanizing. Very yeah. cool. Anything we did not discuss that's on your mind about self-care, about caregiving, I like your prompts because that gets me talking. <laughs> um, no, I, I don't think, I think that through the pandemic, I did want to focus on that too, or bring that up is, you know, 
the pandemic's not really over, but it is. It's like that we're still in this weird moment, you know, two years later. But I do think that during the pandemic, when people were home all the time, a lot, there was like two things that happened. A lot of people, some people were able to reflect on their needs and like the areas they need to improve on, um, you know, and try to grow. And then others, um, for whatever reason, weren't able to do that, you know, got stagnant. It was, they were, it wasn't healthy. Um, but then maybe later they reflect on that. But I really think the pandemic made us more introspective and aware of like our own needs um, and what limits we needed and our own health too. I mean, you know, putting on mask and, you know, coughing wasn't just coughing. Now you had to like, okay, are you coughing because of COVID? Um, you know, so I just think that now we're in a good, as a society, we might be in a good place to be more aware of our, like our needs and that community and connecting. Cause even though we were all isolated a lot, there was a lot more, I did a lot more zoom coffee dates with more people than ever when I was isolated. Like it was weird. It's like, I'm, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so I, so I do think the pandemic really helped with that um, in a weird way and shifted that mindset a little bit as a society. That's a good reminder too, to keep that going. Cause I feel like it would be so easy. And I'm, I'm feeling this in my own life right now as the speed of the world kind of, mm. um, you know, speeds up again. It, it feels like it's slipping, right? Like all mm. the the gains and the reflection and, and the time to pause and just be present during the pandemic. Like you said, for some, for others, it's that opposite for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do we hang on to that? How, how do you remind yourself right about the these things that are important and the boundaries you need to keep and that type of thing oh I think going day by day you know just just setting like those small reminders um to stay in the present and I think that's the pandemic really made us slow down I am that was a good comment is like it made the world slow down where we had to be in the present more so than worrying about the future or the past in a way we weren't speeding up we weren't rushing to places we were home most of us and um i think just trying to continue to instill that in some way you know whether that's through mindfulness um grounding yourself through um you know walking or just trying to bring yourself into the present um and having carving out times to just be still um, mm-hmm. because yeah, as a society, we're starting to speed up again. I'm starting to feel that too. And um, there's good and bad for that. And the bad is forgetting what it was like to be still be present. Well said. Well, it was an absolute pleasure having you on. I'm sure this is, we're going to have you back. <laughs> I love these chats. I love um, it too. <laughs> I really gained a lot from this. So thank you so much for joining us today. Of course. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed being here and just reminding everyone on taking care of themselves. Got questions or ideas for the podcast, or perhaps you have your own story to share. We'd love to hear from you. Email us at podcast at crisisprepandrecovery.com or call 602-281-7795. You can also find us online at cprpodcast.podbean.com or wherever you prefer to find your podcast. CPR Unplugged was produced by Crisis Preparation and Recovery, Inc. The intro and outro music was created by Rob Wilson. 
The CPR podcast team includes Tamara Lamontine, Ben Edwards, Laura Kaufman, Rob Wilson, and Michael Magarinos. Special thanks to Jason Spisak for technical support.